we are going to read uh, first from Psalm 19, 1 to 4, and then Romans 1, 18 to 20, which is in your I think, bulletin. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where the vo their voice is not heard. Their, go their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Romans 1, 18-20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. This is the word of God. Thank you very much, Kyle. A <clears throat> um, couple things just before we get to the message itself. First of all, I m failed to make one announcement earlier that I need to make sure I make, so I'm going to make it right now. Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., there's an orientation event at Ellen Osler House. I would suspect it will last about an hour or so. Uh, it's an information session. If you have any interest in ministering at Ellen Osler House in any capacity, and whether, regardless of whether you've had your police check or not, come to Ellen Osler House at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Hear a, hear a presentation about different ways that you can be involved there. I know that there, there may be half a dozen people who already are planning to attend, right? So if you haven't decided to and you show, one, want to show up and you're afraid that you'll be alone, I promise you, you will not be alone. There are a bunch of people going already. So 7 o'clock at the Ellen Osler House. Also, uh, before we begin, just a reminder uh, that we like to do Q&A if possible. And you can feel free to do whatever you have to do to shut that stuff up. <laughs> we got to do this all the time. We have bricks and stuff around. Um, if you want to lean that against there, whatever you want to do. Anyhow, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, we like to do a Q&A after the, the message uh, whenever possible, and uh, I'm suspecting that there could very well be a lot of Q&A over the next few weeks given um, the subject matter that we're going to be covering in our sermon. So I'm going to try very hard to be concise in, in order to leave enough time for that, which might mean I won't cover as much in the actual body of the message itself in order to to allow for that time. If you would like to ask a question, but you don't want to stand up and raise your hand, you can text me. The phone number is right there in the bulletin, and we'll take your questions during the Q&A time. Okay. As many of you know, I have been doing interviews uh, since we started planting Grace Valley Church a number of months ago. I have been doing interviews with non-Christians that many of you have set me up with. Thank you, by the way, for that. And I'm always looking for more. So if you have a friend, a colleague, a family member who does not profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but is willing to talk about spiritual things with me, 
get me in touch with them so that I can interview them. Over the course of these interviews that I've been having, uh, I've, I've discovered something, and it's not maybe anything new, but it's something that we ought to mention, and it's this. People have good reasons, good, I put in quotation marks, good reasons for doubting Christianity. I've heard many of their objections to the Christian faith. And to be honest with you, if you listen to their objections carefully, if you really hear what they're saying and try to look at the issue from their perspective, from outside of your Christian faith, you have to conclude that at least on the surface of it, it makes very, very good sense. In other words, people are not just saying, I refuse to believe in Christianity. These are thinking people who have wondered about some of the claims of the Christian faith. Sometimes they misunderstand the claims of the Christian faith, sure, but other times they may understand aspects of the Christian faith. They have thought about it, they have wrestled with it, and they have legitimate issue with it. And frankly, uh, the reality is, is that uh, it makes it, as they, list, as they list those legitimate issues with the Christian faith, it makes it hard for them to give Christianity what I'll call a serious hearing, meaning they're willing to set aside their concerns or their prejudices or whatever and really wrestle with the claims of the Christian faith about whether or not it's true because they have these issues, But what's fascinating is if you spend a little bit of time with Christians as well, and they're willing to be open and honest with you, you'll discover that they wrestle and struggle with many of the same questions. They have many of the same issues themselves. Things like evil and suffering in the world. When you turn on the news and you see what's happening in a place like South Sudan, anybody here not familiar with what's going on in South Sudan? If you turn on the TV and you see how the famine has struck that place with such ferocity and you see pictures of these little beautiful little children that are starving to death and and a Christian comes to you and says, by the way, you know, there's a good God who has created all things and is watching over all things and takes care of all things, you have a really, really hard time believing that because of what you've seen, the evil and suffering in the world. When you live in a scientific era like we do today, where we believe in science, and science has given us a tremendous amount of good, uh, you struggle with these claims in the Bible of miracles and things like that. We live in a a pluralistic society, right? We live in a world where, and Canada is a very multicultural society, where we have people from all over the world, from different cultural backgrounds, etc., and many of them have different religious beliefs. There are many religions in the world, and you wonder to yourself, how how can Christians... Not did you so you did something. Mike did something, not me. All right. Um, you wonder how can Christianity actually be the true religion, right? How in the world can this book called the Bible, which is old, from centuries and centuries ago, and is full of all kinds of frankly very fantastical stories when you read them, how can they actually be true? The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian on all those questions, though, is basically this. Those issues, for some reason, for a Christian, they are not insurmountable. They're not impossible to overcome for Christians. 
Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to basically understand why those problems are not impossible for Christians to deal with. They're not insurmountable for Christians. Now, please understand, if you're here this morning and and coming over the next few weeks and you're expecting an airtight argument for the truth of Christianity, you're not going to get it. That's impossible. The Bible talks about something called faith, which is a very important ingredient in this whole conversation. But if you are here this morning and you're not a believer and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is that if you stick it out over the next weeks and you come to the pub talks that are planned for the next few months, you'll at least see that Christianity is not entirely crazy and not entirely unreasonable. There are good reasons to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer here, uh, my prayer for you is that we will be dealing with the nagging doubts that you may struggle with and that your faith over these coming weeks will be strengthened as we wrestle with these issues. So, there's the general introduction for the next few weeks together. Here's the the introduction for this morning together, and it's this. Today, we're going to deal with the question of evidence. You can see an outline on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. We're going to deal with the question of evidence. People object to the Christian faith because they say there is a lack of evidence for it. So there's a couple of quotes on the front of your bulletin, one from Thomas Edison, and it says there, Thomas Edison, you know what he did, right? Okay, good. He says, I have never seen the slightest scientific proof of the religious ideas of heaven and hell, of future for uh, life for individuals, or of a personal God. That's a very good summary of sort of this objection to the Christian faith. It's basically this. There's no scientific evidence for Christianity. There's no proof. There's no scientifically verifiable proof that Christianity is true. And therefore, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have faith, then you obviously have to put science on the shelf. You have to put your mind on the shelf. You have to put your reason on the shelf. You have to put logic on the shelf. And you have to just blindly leap into grasping onto Jesus Christ. And so Richard Dawkins, he's the second... uh, He's the second uh, quote on there, says this. Many of you know who Richard Dawkins is as well, I'm sure. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, or even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. You hear that? I mentioned before that I do all these interviews with people, and many of the people I interview will say, look, I'm a scientific person. So I look for the evidence. And when I look for the evidence for God, I don't really, frankly, see any. And that's why I'm not a Christian. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning together. Three things. We're going to deal with this question of evidence very quickly. We're going to try to understand what what kind of evidence should we be looking for? What evidence do people require in order to believe? Second of all, I'm going to we're going we're gonna, to I'm going to try to make the case that actually our present understanding of science should nudge you in the direction of belief in God rather than disbelief in God. That's the controversial. You know, a good principle of preaching is say something controversial. 
that people want to listen to that, right? And so that's the controversial claim, claim, actually, that science today will actually point you towards belief in God rather than away from belief in God. And then thirdly, I'm going to explain to you, hopefully, why none of that is enough. Why it's not enough. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, even though it's not enough. Stick with me. Here we go. First point that there is no scientific evidence for the existence of God. Now, that's true. When people sit down and say, look, I have a problem with Christianity because, you see, there is no scientific evidence, scientific proof for the existence of God, they're absolutely right. You cannot apply the scientific method to the question of God's existence and expect to find an answer. There's no experiment that you can do. You know, you know when you were in grade 10 or 9 or 8 or 11 science class uh, and you were taught the scientific method that you have a hypothesis and then you're supposed to test it and then you're supposed to come up with your conclusions and I think there's a bunch of other parts in between there. I'm not a scientist, you can tell. Uh, you're taught all these things. You can't do that. You can't go through that process and make some kind of experiment where, whereby at the end of it you will have this test tube in which you can point to God in. That's, that's frankly what Edison and Dawkins are expecting. They require that you be able to do that. And this worldview, this perspective, is something called scientism. And scientism is basically this. It's that you should only believe the things that are provable through the scientific method. Let me say that one more time. You can only be sure of and you should only believe the things that are provable through the scientific method. Here's the problem with that. You can't prove history through the scientific method. You can't prove your memory through the scientific method. You can't prove the existence of moral truths through the scientific method. You can't, if you're married, or, yeah, you can't prove your spouse's love for you through the scientific method. You can't prove, you moms can't prove that your kids love you through the scientific method. There are many, many, many things that cannot be proven through the scientific method. Morning, Jonathan. There are many things that cannot be proven through the scientific method. The, the truths of philosophy, the truths of literature, these truths cannot be demonstrated through the scientific method. If you're going to believe that you can only believe the things that are provable through the scientific method, you're cutting out a tremendous amount of the world's body of historical truth and wisdom. And besides, that statement, you should only believe things that can be proven scientifically, that statement, you can't prove it scientifically. So obviously, we can't just stop there and say, well, that's the kind of evidence we should have because you can't even prove that you need that kind of evidence. We need a different kind of evidence. We need what's called logical evidence. In other words, we need to be able to build good arguments that point towards a conclusion. So, for example, in a court case, <clears throat> a lawyer may present a substantial amount of evidence about a particular case. And they may show, well, I will show you, uh, 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 judge, your honor, I will demonstrate that so-and-so did steal 
the CDs from that, <clears throat> excuse me, from that store because of A, B, C, D, E, and F. None of them, by the way, provide undeniable, undeniable proof that this person may have stolen those CDs, but taken together, the judge reaches a conclusion. Now, I'm not going to argue that, that the conclusion we should come to this morning is that beyond a reasonable doubt, God must exist. However, hopefully we can see that there are good arguments that can lead us towards that conclusion. So that's the first point about evidence. So what's the arguments? What is the good evidence? Well, you know, we, we read Psalm 19, and I want to read it again for you. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what uh, the psalmist says here. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. David, who wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what he says is, is this. He says, the world shows you that God exists. In other words, the universe, the natural order in which we find ourselves living and breathing and, and, and behaving and, and all day long, each and every day, it, it actually reveals God and reveals something of His character. Scripture, throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, the Bible says that as we discover the world, we also discover God, who is the source of the world. That's interesting, because that's exactly the opposite of what Richard Dawkins would say. Richard Dawkins would say that the more we discover the world, the more we discover the universe, the less we need God. Dawkins would say that the reason religion exists at all, whether it be Christian religion, Muslim religion, Hindu religion, Buddhist, doesn't really matter. The reason we have all of that is because we had this universe that was very unexplainable, very difficult and, and very mysterious to people. And so we, we needed religion to kind of fill in those parts of the universe that we don't understand. But Scripture says, actually, the more you get to know about the universe, the deeper you dive into the nature of the universe, the more you will be inclined to believe that there is a source behind it. And you know what? I have a really quick illustration. It just came to me right now. I've got to share it with you. I, I in the same day, I, met, I had two different interviews the, the first interview with, was, was with a guy who uh, was in, mar in marketing and this kind of stuff, real nice guy, uh, but he was, into mar he was in marketing and sales and business and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the universe is the result of evolution, big bang, there is no God, there is no designer, I know that for absolute certain. Science has proven that to me. That night, that evening, I meet with a friend of Ruben's who's a doctor, and we're having an interview. And he says, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm a medical scientist. I have spent the last eight years of my life studying science. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there has to be a God behind all that stuff. Dawkins says one thing, scripture says another thing. Morning interview says one thing, evening interview says another thing. Who's right? We'll get to that in a minute. But the Bible says when you look at the world around you, you see his handiwork. And that's something that's universally experienced. Verses 3 and 4, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. I don't know Chinese, I couldn't preach the gospel in it. 
but the universe speaks a universal language to all people of all cultures throughout the world. And it's interesting, in the vast majorities of cultures around the world, they have deduced as they looked around at the universe that there has to be some kind of author behind it. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Design points to a designer. What, what are the things... What are the things that point to a designer? Well, let's talk about four very, very quickly. So these are the four things. Remember I said, if you understand what science has taught us today, if you understand it well, it should nudge you to belief in God, not to disbelief in God. Here are four things that point us towards the existence of God rather than the non-existence of God. First of all is the virgin birth. And you go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I'm talking not the virgin birth of Jesus, the virgin birth of the cosmos. The virgin birth of the cosmos. Scientists believe, and whether you agree or disagree, this is the scientific kind of consensus right now, that the universe is the result of some sort of massive explosion at around 14 billion years ago. So the belief is, 30 billion years ago, nothing. 20 billion years ago, nothing. 15 billion years ago, nothing. 14 billion years ago, nothing. 13.7 billion years ago, boom. Everything that exists came out of a singular, sudden explosion for no particular reason, with no creator behind it, no designer behind it, no outside agency behind it, okay? All that is came from this single point in this single moment, and this is what that means. This means that all matter, all physical matter, listen carefully, sprang either from nothing or is the result of what's called an infinite regress of causes without a beginning. Regress means just going back. So the universe, this universe had to be caused by something before it, another universe which was caused by another universe which was caused by a universe, another universe, it just goes back infinitely. Now both of those possibilities, physical matter coming out of nothing or an infinite regress of, uh, of matter down throughout eternity, both of those possibilities exist outside of our known reality and therefore are what you can legitimately call miracles. Because science knows of no beings or physical processes that have absolutely no beginning. In the Christian view, now, is that possible? I suppose that's possible, but highly, highly improbable. In the Christian view, you have an infinite personal God who is eternal and is immaterial, and from this God, who is the ground of all being, everything comes into existence. So, in our second passage, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power. That's, why do you think Paul picks eternal power of all the things he could say? Eternal, uncreated, infinite power, and His divine nature have been uh, displayed. See, the atheistic view is possible, but far less probable. This nudges us towards belief in God. That's the first one. The virgin birth of the cosmos. The second one is order from chaos. This is sometimes described as the cosmic welcome mat 
theory, okay? Uh, the Big Bang argues that from a single point, there was this massive energy that exploded, boom, and everything went and expanded out and out and out and out and out. And you would expect, based upon all the physical laws that we understand about the universe at this point, you would expect that as this universe expanded, all that energy would eventually kind of dissipate into disorder. The weird thing is, is that actually the opposite happens. Things become more ordered, they become more complex, so that all this energy, it forms these planets and these stars, and those planets and stars, they start to form galaxies, and inside those galaxies, they form solar systems, and you, you get what I'm saying. The thing is, this is absolutely astounding, even to scientists. Some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Francis Collins. He was the uh, head of the genome project that mapped the human genome. He put it this way, it's right here on your, on your bulletin as well. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks like the universe knew we were coming. There are 15 constants that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would not have been any galaxies, stars, planets, or people. And all the people said, no, you didn't, right? Because that's all like, huh? What does that mean? That's what I said when I read it too. We need, we need to make this concrete. So let me try to make this concrete for you. He says that there are 15 constants. So there are 15 things that had to be the way, exactly the way they are in order for us to have the universe we have, okay? The best way you can picture this is to imagine that you are at a galactic Las Vegas casino, and you walk in, and there are 15 roulette wheels there. And, and in order for you to win the jackpot, you have to get the right number on the roulette wheels. You understand how the roulette wheel thing works, right? On the first wheel, rather than 36 numbers or whatever is on a regular roulette wheel, there's a million. So imagine a wheel with a million. And you spin that thing, and shoop. The ball lands right in the, in the spot you wanted it to, and you go, wow, that was amazing. And you go on to the next one, another wheel with a million numbers on it. And it spins and it spins and it spins, and boom, you nail it again. And now you're thinking, whoa, this is amazing. And some of the people watching are like, whoa, never seen that before, and they come over to have a look. And now you're on number three, number four, and every time it's going boom, boom. Now you're at number eight. You call your mom. You say, mom, you've got to get down here. I'm on the best run of luck in the history of the universe. This is amazing. You've got to see this. And, and TV cameras start showing up because the net networks have gotten a word of this, and they're like, this guy is on the most incredible run. And you do 10, you do 11, you do 12, you do 13, you do 14, Every single one of them, boom! And you think, this is unbelievable! And then you come to number 15. Number 15 is a little bit different than all the other ones. Number 15 is a wheel that has 10 to the power of 60 numbers on it. And that still means nothing to most of us. That's 10 with 60 zeros behind it. So imagine a roulette wheel that's as big as Saturn, let's say. And you spin that thing and... It goes, and all of a sudden, thunk, it lands on the one you want, yay! And then all of a sudden, boom, it moves one over, no! 
And that one little miss, you got to go all the way back to the beginning if you want to have a universe, because otherwise you don't. Pretty unbelievable, isn't it? One scientist said that the chances of doing that, this roulette wheel, so to speak, is like someone shooting an arrow across the entire known universe, which is about 20,000 million light years across, and hitting a target one inch square. And that's just for the 15th number. Doesn't even include 1 to 14. Now, again, this does not prove that God exists. I'm not trying to prove to you. Can't be done. However, when you see a garden, it's natural to look for a gardener, isn't it? You'd expect order if there is an ordered creator behind the order that you see. That's number two. Number three, the rest aren't quite as long. Number three, life from non-life or living matter from non-living matter. The idea is basically this. Science will say that uh, given enough time, living things will come from non-living things. We just need to be patient, okay? And the example that is usually given is, is if you take a monkey and stick a monkey in front of a typewriter and let it just type randomly, eventually it will type all the, all the works of Shakespeare. Have you heard of that before? That's the, that's the thing. You just need enough time. A random activity will eventually, time plus chance plus matter, will eventually hit on the formula, okay? But the question you need to ask is this, how much time? How much time is needed? If you run the numbers, we have 26 letters in the alphabet, if a monkey was hitting one key per second, how long would it take for a monkey to just type to be or not to be? That is the question. The numbers argue it would be about 12.6 trillion trillion years. And the DNA strand that makes us up, you know, is an alphabet, not of 26 letters, but of 25 billion. Now, it's possible, I suppose, that this could happen, but is it likely that it would happen? Or is it more reasonable to think that there was an infinite personal creator God who, as Scripture says in Genesis, breathed the breath of life into us. Fourth one, last one, the simplest of all, consciousness from non-consciousness or conscious life from non-conscious life. Even Richard Dawkins says that this one is an absolute stretch. Even if you can find an answer for the first three, the fourth one is an absolute mystery. We are, think, we are conscious beings, meaning you have self-awareness. You know that you are you. When someone asks you, who are you, most of you will say your name because you have conscious awareness of yourself. You have uh, language that expresses your mental capacity and, and you have cognition that enables you to think and to be able to express yourself through language, all that kind of stuff. And science absolutely has no clue where that came from. No idea. None. It is the ultimate miracle of evolution, according to scientists. But what if you, ha again, have an infinite personal creator 
behind the universe who, who chose to create beings, as Scripture says, Genesis says, in his image, with will and with desire and with cognition and with language and with reasoning, etc. Again, it accords with what we see. It accords with the evidence. It corresponds to the evidence that we see. It makes sense of the evidence that we see. Even, how many of you have seen the movie Interstellar? Anybody seen that movie? Fascinating movie, okay? Like, what a cool movie. Don't ruin it for me. We only got through half of it last night, my wife and I, because I'm old and I have to go to bed early on Saturdays. But what's fascinating, it's a movie about these people uh, having to find a new place for human beings to live. So they go through this wormhole into another galaxy looking for habitable um, planets. And at one point, they're deciding whether they should go to one planet or the other planet. And the woman who wants to go to the one planet over the other planet, she makes an argument. And her argument is somewhat based on evidence, but it's mostly based on, guess what? Love. Love. Science has never been able to explain love. It's able to explain sexual attraction and desire. It's able to explain filial commitment because, you know, we're all trying to survive and it's better for us to take care of our clan, etc. But it can't explain love, particularly love for beings that have no personal connection to us. So when you watch the news and you see uh, people in South Sudan starving to death, and you are driven to want to give money to that to relieve their suffering a little bit, science would say there's no explanation for that other than it's a bunch of chemicals going off in your brain and it's not really love that's happening, it's just chemical reactions in your head. And yet deep down in your soul, you know, you know that there's more going on than that. Now, we started all of this saying, look, same data, Different responses. Some people believe, some people don't. Dawkins versus me, (laughs) for lack lack of a better term. Why is that? Why do we come to different conclusions? Well, we're going to explore that in detail on June 18th. Mark your calendars. But let me just mention this morning, I think it's important that we mention this morning basically what's going on in, 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 in outline form because we need to realize now this whole question of faith versus unbelief Christianity versus secularism, atheism, etc., is not just a matter of who has the best logic. It's not. All people, you see, want to think that their beliefs make the most sense. All people do. We all want to believe that we are choosing the most reasonable path or the most reasonable perspective. But Scripture, again, says, frankly, that's not the case. You know, the passage we read uh, second was from Romans chapter 8, or sorry, Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, or sorry, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, the wrath of God, we'll get to that part in a couple weeks, (laughs) is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, and listen to what Paul says, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Paul says, suppress the truth. He says there's something more going on than just I 
have better reasons for my beliefs than you do. See, the problem is not just a lack of evidence, Scripture says. There's plenty of evidence around us that God exists. The world is full of this evidence. Paul says it's desire. At the heart of our problem is desire. And this is the part that if you've been struggling to follow along, I really hope you listen very, very carefully because this is really the crux of the matter. We believe mostly what we want to believe. We believe mostly what we want to believe. And so we put a very high burden to be convinced to believe the things we don't want to believe. And we put a very low burden on the things that we do want to believe. Perfect example. I'm a, I'm a fan of soccer. I watch soccer. Many of you hate it for this very reason. You talk to two soccer managers after the game and you ask them, was that a penalty or not? And the guy who's the manager of the team that was awarded the penalty says, well, of course, it was a great call. Did you see that trip? I saw that trip. And of course, the guy who was not awarded the penalty, the guy who was, who, who was penalized, that manager says, Psh, the ref was biased or the ref just pulled out his card way too quickly or whatever. He says, no, that was not a penalty. They're both looking at the same evidence. Why? Because it's to the one guy's advantage to believe it was a penalty and it's to the other guy's disadvantage not to believe, or sorry, disadvantage to believe it was a penalty. You've got to remember that desire plays a tremendous part in all of this. Thomas Nagel, who is a world-renowned atheistic philosopher who teaches at New York University, said this, and he was incredibly honest and open. He said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in that belief. It's that I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Unbelief, friends, is not just a lack of faith. It's the presence of an alternative faith, and we're going to look far more deeply at that on June 18th. So what do we do? Has the last 25 minutes or whatever we've been at this now, is that, has that been just a waste of time? Thank you. Who do I love? I love you. You're right. This has not been a waste of time. And the reason it's not been a waste of time is, is first of all, sometimes people change because of the evidence. Many of you have heard of C.F. Lewis, one of my heroes, right? C.S. Lewis said, you know, it was basically God dragged me kicking and screaming into his kingdom. I was the most reluctant convert in all of Britain, but he just hammered me with the evidence. It only made sense. So that he is very famous for the statement that he says, I believe in Christianity for the same reason that I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You see? Christianity makes sense of the reality that we're in. So that's, that's one of the reasons. But, but the other reason is, is because we get to talk about desire. Consider your desires in your beliefs. And go back to the heart of the Christian faith, which is the person of Jesus Christ. Look, Christianity is a system that makes sense of the world. Don't get me wrong. And, and as an as a eggheady kind of guy, well, I'm an egghead wannabe, let's face it. Uh, 
as that guy who likes that kind of stuff, I love things making sense and logical and all that kind of stuff. And I think Christianity is, is that in a beautiful way. But at the heart of Christianity is not systems and philosophies and guidelines for how to live. At the heart of Christianity is a man who claimed to be the son of God and who said, you are so lost in your sin. You are so rebellious against the creator who made you that he was willing to clothe himself in flesh and he was willing to live on this earth and suffer the throws and arrows of life under the veil of the pain and suffering that comes with just being a human so that he could show you the love of the God who made you. And not only that, he wouldn't just live that life for you, he would also go to a cross and he would die in your place and he would suffer God's judgment on your behalf because of his love for you. His arms would be open wide in love for you, welcoming you back into the arms of the Father. That's the heart of Christianity. And so in the midst of all these conversations about science and about morality and about evil and suffering, don't lose sight of the heart of the gospel. The person of Jesus Christ. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see him there dying in your place with your name on his lips, with your name written on his hands, saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, pleading your case even as he's taking God's judgment for you. And then ask yourself, do I desire that? Do I want that? The Apostle Paul, brilliant man, okay, brilliant man, he debated, he debated the Greek philosophers, he debated the Jewish philosophers, he took on all comers, he said, let's, let's have it out. He did miracles. He worked tremendous wonders, okay? But in a place in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 22 and 24, he says this. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know what to pray right now other than open our eyes to see your handiwork in the world around us as it points to your eternal power. Open our eyes to see more, even more so though, your incredible love in your son Jesus who's fulfilled all our deepest hopes and desires. And may we find in him our Savior. Amen.